As you heard last week, uh, we are starting a new series this morning, Traveling Light, all from the book of Galatians. And all I can tell you is in my preparation, Jason gave me this task. He said, Susan, can you please um, prepare the sermon series for Galatians? Now, I've read Galatians many times, but you know when you actually spend time really studying and looking up things, and, and looking at other verses, and, and just, it, it actually blew my mind how I've never noticed this little book in the Bible as much as I noticed it in preparation for the series. It is actually incredible, and it's a real smack in the face. So if you need a real smack in the face, I'm going to encourage you to read Galatians, because actually we all need a real smack in the face um, every now and again, and like a good one, you know, a good club, not a bad one. Um, so... For a moment, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes because I just want you to imagine for a moment, okay? Just imagine for a moment you are a family in a war-torn country and you've executed this amazing escape and all you have to do is get across the border and... You manage to get across and you manage to get to safety and to freedom. Or imagine that you're a young man or woman ravaged by a drug addiction. And for the first time, you feel completely free. And there are no more drugs in your system. You're completely free from this addiction. Or imagine you're a woman or a man trafficked from a country that's the only country you've ever known, and you are trafficked, and you are drugged, and you are raped, and you are, your family is threatened, and you get taken, and, and you are trafficked for many years, and a company or an organization rescues you, and for the first time, you don't have to be afraid. You can live in freedom. You can open your eyes. Now, for a lot of us, we can't imagine any of that. that. That's hectic, okay? And so I know that that's hectic, but I just wanted to put into your mind for a moment what freedom for a lot of people would be like. They are stuck or um, in slavery in one area, and they get free. They actually have a chance to be free And so whether you're fleeing persecution or you're fleeing being held captive or you're breaking this this crazy addiction, freedom means life. Freedom means life. Jason and I have friends in China who can't even tithe because there's no church they can tithe to. They can't get together as a church, but they can get together as a club and have Bible time, okay? So freedom means life. Nothing is as as exhilarating as knowing that your past is forgotten. Anyone grateful that your past is forgotten? I am. And that new options are waiting for you. Your your past is forgotten. So so if if you've been um, in in the stranglehold of drug addiction for years and years and years, and to know that you can come before God and your past is wiped clean. You have a new, fresh start that awaits you. Do you know that people long? No, they yearn for freedom. We yearn for freedom. And so 
looking into the book of Galatians, um, it's a really profound letter written by the Apostle Paul, and it was written to a number of the churches in Galatia, in the region of Galatia, where Paul had previously gone on a missionary trip and um, started um, a few churches in Galatia. And we, we actually read about his, his journeys in Acts, and he wrote this important letter from a place of deep passion and frustration, which we'll get into in a moment, okay? Now, here's the backstory. Christianity began as a um, Jewish messianic movement. That's how Christianity started um, in Jerusalem. But its message was for all humanity, and so it quickly spread um, to many regions and to many people who were not Jewish. Um, and so there were many Jews and non-Jews that were becoming Christians, and so the non-Jews were referred to as Gentiles, and Jews didn't mix with Gentiles. They had to stay away. It was part of the law. They couldn't mix, but many Gentiles and Jews were converting to Christianity. But what happened was is that this sparked a huge debate um, among the Messianic Jews. Okay, This sparked a huge debate. And so... Um, Historically, um, the covenant people of God, right, the ethnic group, the, the, the Israelites, they were the chosen people. But God had made a way that when he sent Jesus, that message was going to be for everyone, not just for those chosen people, but for everyone. And um, what, what was happening was that the Jews who were converting to Christianity still had this they were compelled to follow the law. So the law being they had to eat kosher food, they had to follow the Sabbath like to the T, just step out of line and you get clucked in the face, you know, you, you, know, you, 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 you get told off. Um, and, of course, the big thing was circumcision. And all the men said, <laughs> as a male, an adult male, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with circumcision, but let's keep it for babies. You know what I'm saying? And um, so, of course, what happened was is that these um, Jewish Christians were living in a dual identity. Their identity of following the, the, the Torah, the, the, the Jewish laws to the T. That's what they knew. That's what was expected of them. So they had this dual identity and their newfound faith in Christ that invited them to experience freedom from the law. So here they are confused. They've got this dual identity. And it's like, okay, I, I don't know if anyone can relate to that where you get saved and you've got this dual identity. You were with these group of people and, and you were one way and now you, you're another way and you're trying to find your place in this world, in this Christian kingdom, this kingdom of God. And so they had this dual identity. And they wondered, I mean, as you can only imagine, how Gentiles could be part of the kingdom of heaven. And there were many Jewish Christians who believed that in order for these non-Jews to become Jewish, to, you know, to become Christians, they first had to become Jewish and then convert to Christianity. So that was their belief. And there was a group of um, radical um, Jewish Christians that actually were called, referred to as, you're going to laugh, but this is how you say it, Judaizers. 
Okay, they were called Judaizers because they were actually coming in and they were saying, no, 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 you can't just become a Christian. You have to first become Jewish and then you can become a Christian. So anyway, this is the backstory. And um, what was happening was these, th- this group of, of um, Jewish Christians were going to Galatia and were undermining Paul, who had planted these churches. So they were basically going in and saying, listen here, um, don't listen to what Paul said. We're telling you, you first have to get circumcised. You have to follow the laws. You have to follow the Sabbath. Like, you can't heal like Jesus did on the Sabbath. You can't do anything. You've got to follow it to the T. Um, you've got to eat kosher, and then you can become a Christian. So Paul finds this out, and his heart is broken. Because he went from being radical, law follower, killing Christians, to having a radical conversion, okay? Where he was basically like he met Jesus face to face and and completely changed him from being someone who who martyred one of the disciples to now being um, one of the biggest disciples, apostles, leaders in the Christian faith. So he finds this out and he is angry. And so this letter is a result. Now, thankfully, I don't know about you, but if I write a text or a letter in anger or an email, I probably should show someone first. But thankfully, I think Paul was writing and it was, even though he was angry, it was also what they needed to hear. It was what we need to hear very, very often. And so this letter, the the book of Galatians, it's a powerful letter, and God used it in the history of the church for the recovery and the preservation of the gospel. God uses it for the recovery and the preservation of the gospel. Now let's start by looking at Paul's greeting in Galatians 1, 1 to 5. So that's where we're going to start. It says, I don't know if you can, if it'll come up, yes. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God the Father and and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. So, ancient letters commonly began with naming the author and naming the recipient, okay? And then it, it, it continued with something like a blessing, um, of, of greeting, and often a little bit of a praise or an honoring um, of the person that, they, that the letter was being written to. And Paul often um, wrote his letters with a, a prayer of thanksgiving, Um, of whoever he was writing it to. Now, there are a couple of things to note about this letter. First of all, we see that Paul uh, was not writing to one church, but writing to many churches. So this region was being affected by um, this group coming in and telling them that they first needed to be Jewish before being Christian. And another thing that's interesting about the description um, of the recipients is what's missing. Okay, so it's what's missing from this letter, that the introduction that makes it interesting. There's no thanksgiving prayer um, in his words. Um, there's no praise or honor um, of the churches. He just says to the churches in Galatia. Okay? 
and you'll understand in the moment why people can make this, this, this assumption. It's very brief. He almost comes across snappy to the churches in Galatia. You can especially see this when you think about how Paul usually writes his letters. If we look, for example, in Ephesians 1 verse 1, he says, I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. He's, he's telling them that they are doing good. He's honoring them. He's praising them for being faithful followers. In Romans 1 verse 7, he writes to the church in Rome. He says, I'm writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. I'm writing to you, you his holy people. He's, he's praising them. He's, he's blessing them, in a sense, with his words, okay? But nothing like that to the Galatians. To the churches in Galatia. There's no praise. There's no thanksgiving. He just names himself as the author and names them as the recipients. And then he gives them a very brief greeting. And then he simply explains the gospel. So he gets right into it. You know, um, I'm sure we all do this. And it's not always what we feel like. But you know, when you write an email to someone, it's good manners to say, hi, I hope you're doing well at the end. Many thanks, warm regards. That's just a kind way of writing. Paul has taken all of that out of his letters. He's just like, hey, is basically what he's doing, okay? Sorry, I don't know where I am. Okay. So, what was the purpose of this letter to the Galatians? Paul wrote this letter from a place where he was angry and frustrated, as I mentioned, okay? He wanted to bring attention to the Galatian believers of the false type of teaching that they were receiving. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to bring their attention to the fact that they were receiving false doctrine. They were hearing false teaching. And this false type of teaching that was spreading among them was causing them to take their focus off the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. It was adding in stuff, taking away stuff, taking away from what Jesus actually did for them, adding in things that Jesus had never added in, and making it complicated, and actually taking the main focus, the focus off what was really important. And that is what Jesus Christ had done for them. So this is what Paul wanted to bring their attention to. And it's a good question to ask yourself, are you aware of false doctrine that you might hear? I know sometimes I hear of people who will tell me they, they saw this clip on social media, so they started following the person, and I'm like, have you gone to look if that person is Bible-based? Is their doctrine accurate? Are they following the gospel, the simple gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you faithful to the purity of the gospel? It's important questions. Am I faithful? I've got to ask myself that as I'm worshiping this morning. I'm like, am I faithful? And my prayer always is, God, if there's anything I've added to this, allow me not to say it. Because I don't want to be unfaithful to the purity of the gospel. 
And then um, we notice, especially in verse 4 and 5 of Galatians 1, where he says, Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world, okay? I want to highlight the word rescue. In order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. That's the reason behind this letter. It's, guys, Jesus came to rescue you from the law, to rescue you from the evil world, to rescue you from living in bondage and slavery, to rescue you. That is what Jesus came to do. That's the reason for the letter. And the Galatian churches were on the brink of losing and walking away from the gospel completely. So Paul is like, he's like, right, I've got to set this straight. I've got to bring the main point back and, and let them know that they do not have to do all of these things according to the Jewish law in order to, um, you know, accept Jesus' forgiveness and to live in that freedom. God's plan is to rescue his people from sin and death and to leave, lead them into a life of freedom. God's plan is that we travel light. We don't take all of the things with us that he's never asked us to take with us. He's asked us to just accept the simple gospel of what Jesus did for us. What is the definition of rescue according to the dictionary? Okay, It's to be, be free from confinement, danger, or evil to save or deliver. That sounds exactly what Jesus did. He set us free from confinement, from slavery. He set us free from danger and the evil world. He has come to save and deliver us. So, this morning, well, for this series, we're going to unpack the entire Galatians, but I just want to do a bit of an introduction and focus on the um, the doctrine, how, how can we be careful that we are sure that the doctrine is, is right and this rescue. So this, my message is actually called divine rescue. I believe that Galatians is about a divine rescue. We have been divinely rescued. And we're going to unpack these two points today, the first one being our need to rescue and the second one, how Christ rescues us. But first I want to look, us to look at the importance of true teaching or sound doctrine. Let's go to Galatians 1 verse 67. Paul says, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. But it is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Okay? He's becoming more and more like, listen, you're being fooled. The gospel, this gospel, gospel you're listening to, it's, it's, it's pretending to be the true gospel. So Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas founded these churches and then they returned to Antioch. And while he was in Antioch, he gets the message that these churches are being um, turned from the true gospel by these Juda Judaizers. And this is why he then writes the letter. Um, he wants to denounce the false doctrine. So Paul isn't going to stand for it another minute. Um, and throughout the letter, he has some of the harshest language compared to any of the letters 
that he had written in the New Testament. He's got some of the harshest language. As you just saw in what I read, 67, he talks about being shocked. Some translations say astonished, you know, bewildered. He's, he's, he's devastated. He's saying that they are following a way that pretends to be the gospel. Further on in Galatians, again, he, he's, his language is, is direct. He says, Galatians 5 verse 10, I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. Good will, sorry, God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. And then my favorite one, Galatians 5 verse 12. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. Okay. This also speaks to many countries on our own continent who want to mutilate people. God has not asked us to do that. Okay? Yes, if you've got a medical problem and you have to do it, that's your choice. But you're not being told that in order to be a Christian, you first have to do A, B, and C. Okay, that is the difference. Purity of the gospel is about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Anything else that gets mixed uh, with the gospel and becomes more important than the simple gospel of salvation becomes a distorted and perverted gospel. Usually, it's the immature or let's like say the not fully formed Christians who can be fooled by, the, by a distorted gospel, okay? Because that can happen. Let me give you an example, all right? A not fully formed Christian is like a small child. Now, for those of you who have had small children or have small children currently would know that they don't always know the difference between right and wrong. So when my girls were young, they would pick up and anything off the floor and put it in their mouth. And what do we as parents do? We run after them. No, don't do that. No, don't do that. Take that out your mouth. Oh, you know, because we know that that's not good for them. But that's what a lot of young, immature Christ uh, Christians do. They consume everything that is backed by the name of Jesus because they don't know the difference or they don't yet know how to discern what um, the, the, the true gospel versus the perverted gospel is. And so they're very much like those young kids where they still need time. And, and you know, you, you get to a point as a parent where you have to stop being as overprotective. Well, either the germs made them stronger, um, but, but, we, but we don't want that, right? We know there's just some stuff, like dog poop. Like, no, you know? But some kids do that. They put things in their mouths and you run after them. In the same way, we have to help young Christians not to just take everything they hear as the pure gospel. So the problem with new Christians and those who are not rooted in the word is that they'll listen to everything and consume everything, okay? Galatians 1 verse 89 says this, another part of Galatians I love, let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again, what we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. I mean, he's saying that about himself. He's not just putting it on others, he's saying us. Let us be cursed if it is the false gospel, okay? Okay. 
So Paul, um, Paul says that anyone who talks anything other than the pure gospel um, should be cursed, all right? When we dilute the gospel by adding to it or changing it in order to make people feel comfortable in their sin, should I say that again? When we dilute the gospel in order to make people comfortable in their sin, we are pleasing men. We are not pleasing God. And so sometimes that means difficult conversations. Always out of love. Never ever to judge or condemn because that is not what Jesus did. But he always gave an escape a way to escape. He always said, think about the woman at the well. He didn't say to her, You're, you know, you've had all these husbands, this is how you're living, but I love you anyway. What did he say? Go and sin no more. There was always a way out of the way that um, we are living. So Paul calls the, uh, the Galatian believers out, and he says in Galatians 1 verse 10, Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. If, if pleasing people is your goal, you cannot also be Christ's servant. And when I say pleasing people, I don't mean, you know, you're a people pleaser, like you like to do things for people and you don't know how to say no. I'm talking about when you change the gospel because you don't want to make them uncomfortable in their sin. So as Christians, we need to judge if someone is preaching the gospel through self-interest or through pleasing men, or are they trying to please God? Paul says that he's not bothered by, by these human beings, um, right? That his, go his goal is to please God. And I love the way Galatians 1 verse 10 is written in the message version. It's, it's, it's just a creative version, but I love the way that it says it. Do you think I speak this strongly in order to manipulate crowds or court favor with God or get popular applause? If my goal was popularity, I wouldn't bother being Christ's slave. Our goal cannot be popularity. Our goal cannot be to just please men. Our goal must be to please God. And so as believers, we need to discern what we are consuming. If this letter is in the Bible, God cares about what we are consuming. If this little letter in the New Testament is there to tell us to discern between the pure gospel and perverted gospel, we need to listen. And so we need to cross-check things. We need to... Um, Make sure that the church we're going to is Bible-based. You know, you, you need to decide that for yourself here even. We can't just go to church because that's the church where we like the music. Or we can't just go to church because we like that pastor. Or we can't just go to church because we like the social element of that church. We have to decide, is the church... Is what I'm hearing, is what I'm downloading off podcasts, is what I'm listening to, to other pastors... Is it based on the pure gospel of Jesus Christ? And Jenna said, Amen. Thanks, Jenna. So false doctrines can come to us in three ways. I'm just going to rush through this. The first one is obviously it's the influence of tradition and culture. We all grow up with certain tradition and culture. After our ladies' event at the end of January, 
um, we had a lady come to us who so um, connected with Vicky um, and, and, and her like, life story about not following a lot of the traditions and cultures that she grew up in, that they've connected to actually talk through a lot of that and being able to differentiate between what is culture from her upbringing versus the kingdom of God culture. And, trying to, and, and you need to find that out. You need to discover um, what that difference is. Okay, so influence um, of tradition and culture. Um, we actually need to look at our traditions and our culture and question that against the word of God. So, for example, I grew up in a family that was very superstitious. So everything was like, don't walk under the ladder, don't do this, if you do this, do that. And so I grew up thinking that that was normal until I had my eyes opened that I'm relying on something natural, not the supernatural freedom that comes from living in Christ. Another thing that I grew up with was um, fortune tellers. Gosh, guys, I could write a book in my short years that I've lived. No, honestly, fortune tellers, you know, it was so bad that even my grandmother, after my mom died, took photographs to a fortune teller who told her stuff about me, that even after I was married and was a Christian, I still had this niggle in the back of my mind until the day I actually put it before God, left it at his throne and walked away. You've got to look at these things and, and, and get rid of them. If your tradition and your culture is opposite to God's word, get rid of it. The second thing that can form false doctrine is education. Now, education is important, and our kids deserve the best education. But we cannot base our theology on education, because a lot of it is rubbish. Absolute nonsense. And then thirdly, the self-centered way of looking at life. We live in a modern world of self-centeredness. Look inside of you. What are your emotions telling you to do? What should you, you know, um, this decision that you are going to make, how do you feel? How about asking, what does God say I should do? How about saying, yes, I feel this way, but this is what God's word is telling me to do. And so even though I don't want to do it because I feel a certain way, I am not going to live by the world standards of God is in me and I get to be God and I decide, no, God created you, therefore he knows what's best for you. All right. Our self is not our guide. Our conscience is not our guide. Otherwise, a mass murderer can appear in court and say, well, my conscience told me to do it. The judge is not going to care because it's not about your conscience being your guide. Yes, your conscience, obviously, filled with the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit guiding you, that is, is different. I'm talking about where it's your conscience based on how you feel, how you woke up that morning. Did the smoothie hit or didn't it? You know, did the pizza affect you last night? You cannot make life choices based on those feelings. You have to make life choices based on the word of God. And so our conscience must be captive to God and his word. You can't let your conscience be your guide or your tradition, your tradition be your guide or your, the, the culture you grew up with be your guide. Only the word of God can be your guide. 
And so what is the gospel? What is the heart of the Christian message? There's only one message. Jesus. Amen. There's only one message, Jesus. Jesus, who is the Lord and Savior, he brings the solution for our sins by rescuing us from the evil world. And so our first point, our need for rescue, okay? We have a need for rescue. Galatians 1 verse 4, Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live, okay? So, Let's break that up. Jesus gave his life for our sins. Jesus didn't give his life for anything else. He died on the cross. We died on the cross with him when we accept him. Our sins are nailed to the cross. And he did it to rescue us from this evil world. Because we still have to live in this world. If you are here, God still has a plan and a purpose. You can't escape the world. Yes, you can move to a small holding, and it's just you and your corn and your grapes, and, and, and that. but you're still going to have to make choices. You're still going to have to deal with people. You're still going to have to be in this world. You cannot be gone from it completely until you die. And so there's this contrast between doing and believing, and the law is all about doing, okay, and Faith is all about believing. And so we find ourselves often living in these two worlds of doing and believing. And there's nothing wrong with doing, but is doing coming off the back of believing, of having faith in Jesus. Like our vision says, be, become, do. We have to get the order right. So often we do become, and sometimes we don't even be. Because we just get used to living in our, the social club of church. That we, 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 we serve, and, and, and that's good because that is a response to what Jesus did for you. It's a response to the fact that he loves you, that he died for you. And so therefore, I want to serve others and bring them into the community of Jesus Christ. But you've got to get the order right. You've got to be with Jesus. You've got to believe in what he did for you. You've got to believe. You've got to have that faith. And when you live um, in, the, in the doing, you're living in your flesh. Because, it's, because then you are going to only do what you feel like when you feel like. What if God calls you into a slightly uncomfortable situation? What if God says, I want you to go up to that person and pray with them? What if God says, I want you to serve in kids' ministry? Amen, Tammy. What if God says, I want you to serve at Nova on a Friday? And you're like, oh, but then I can't do this. And I'm, then you're serving out of your flesh. But if you have a revelation that Jesus died for you and you are living in the, in the believing, in the faith, then when he calls you to something, it'll be a response from a good place. Okay, I'm going to move on. Galatians 5 verse 1 says that, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. God has set us free, so why do we go back to add things that tie us up into slavery to the law that God never intended? Okay, Paul is saying, stay free. Don't be in slavery. Christ has already paid the price for you. 
The gospel is not about religion. The gospel is not about what we do in order to earn salvation or grace. The gospel is about what God has done. And so how Jesus rescues us, how does he? Because of our sin, we separated from God, right? We know that. Because of our sin, we, we, we don't have to um, do the old laws anymore. We don't have to go to temple, kill a calf, have the blood sprayed, and then next week do it all over again. Okay, Jesus died once for all. He was the lamb. Okay, so because of our sin, we are separated from God, and we will never be good enough to get that relationship back in our own, in our own strength. Okay, Jesus had to die for us. He gave his life to rescue us. So what is this? Well, firstly, it's an act of self, self-giving love. All right, Jesus gave himself for us. Paul says it very personally in Galatians 2 verse 20. He says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. So I'm not living in the flesh in this body anymore. Um, but it is Christ who lives in me. In other words, my desires become his desires. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus was a willing sacrifice. Jesus allowed himself to be the the lamb that had to be slain, the blood that had to be shed, which is why we take communion so that we can remember. We're going to be doing communion next Sunday for those of you who because I do get asked often, it's the only reason I'm mentioning it. Jesus um, also said in John 10 verse 18 that no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. He was a willing sacrifice. And secondly, it was the glorious exchange. Jesus for us. Guys, can you imagine just for a moment giving your life for anyone? Yes, we would give our life for our children probably, but that's where it would stop. He gave his life and we were not even born yet. We didn't even exist. He gave his life for us. I think that is huge. And it's something I never want to take for granted. Jesus Christ took our place. Mark 10 verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know what the heart of the gospel is? Christ, our substitute. He didn't die for his own sins. He was holy. He was unblemished. He was separate from sin. That even Pilate washed his hands and said, I cannot find any guilt in this man. That's how clean he was. Legacy Church, your debt has been paid. And so anyone that might be sitting here this morning feeling guilty, feeling ashamed, feeling, oh, I didn't do A, B, and C, so I must be a really... Um, you know, bad Christian, and, and so I've, I've, I've got to do. Okay, what must I do? First, be. Just be. Accept the pure gospel. Have faith in what Jesus did for you. 
And then your response is becoming like him and doing what he did. Faith in Jesus brings true freedom from sin and from our useless attempt to be right with God by keeping the law. We are free in Christ, yet freedom is a privilege. I don't want you to leave here this morning with thinking that I'm saying that you're free, so therefore you can sin and it's okay. Freedom is a privilege. It came at a high price and we must not take it for granted. We are not free to disobey God and to do as we please, but we are free to serve Jesus who is risen. He's not in the tomb anymore. He's risen. And so to wrap up, Colossians 1 verse 13 says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. God has rescued you from the kingdom of darkness. It cannot be a divine rescue if we have to earn it. It cannot be a divine rescue if we have to add man-made traditions to it, okay? For Paul, living this resurrected free life means it's a new way of being, a new way of doing, a new way of relating, a freedom from the kingdom of darkness. It means that you get to travel light. And do you know what happens when we live um, in our Christian authority, when we live according to the correct doc doctrine, and when we bear testimony, okay, to what Christ has done, what happens? God is glorified. There's actually, um, as I close off, there's actually a um, Greek bishop, Irenaeus, I would assume is how you say it, and he said that the glory of God is man fully alive. The glory of God is man fully alive. So when you are fully alive in what God has done for you, in sending his son, then God is glorified. Then your life is a testimony. Your life shines. It's, your life is different. People will ask you, what is it about you that's different? How come you didn't get stressed in that situation? How come you, you were so kind and generous? It's because the glory of God is man fully alive. And so can I ask you to close your eyes? Because it's very important that we don't leave this morning without me giving you an opportunity to just ask God if you are in a right place with Him. Have you kept the purity of the gospel, the main the main thing, or have you added to it? Are you following people whose doctrine is teaching things that are not in the Bible?